welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you for joining me. One quick reminder, as we are getting close to the end of March, if you have not done so already, be sure to go and fill out our listener survey that will not only help us make a better podcast for you, Uh, But you will also be entered to win some really cool prizes. We've got some Happy Writer merchandise up for grabs. And I want to say, I think we've got six influencer boxes um, that were sent from previous guests featuring not only their books, but also some really awesome swag. So check that out uh, on our Instagram page at Happy Writer Podcast uh, and just go find that listener survey and... We do appreciate your feedback. One thing that is making me happy this week, and I'm kind of surprised that I haven't talked about this one yet because it has made a huge difference for us uh, this school year. Um, I discovered a website called OutSchool, outschool outschool.com. And if you are also homeschooling your kids, or maybe you just need something to occupy them during the holiday breaks, um, or maybe you're even a teenager who just likes to learn stuff. Personally, I love taking classes on topics that I find interesting. You have to check out this website. It is a website that offers all online classes. You can search by different you know, subject, topic, time of day, different grades, ages, et cetera, et cetera. And there is so much on there. It's mind-boggling to me how many people are offering these live, you know, virtual classes. Um, and so over the few the past few months, the girls have taken classes on everything from like weird animal adaptations. They've learned how to edit videos. They've gone into fashion illustration. They're now taking beginning French. Uh, they've done writing games and math games and like just there's just so much content on there and the girls love it and I love it because not only does it expand what I personally am able to teach them in our homeschool, uh, but it also, of course, gives me a little break from time to time. So that has been my new favorite thing this year. I am also so happy to be talking to today's guest. She is a proud Pakistani-American who translated her love of storytelling into a graduate degree analyzing national identity, culture, and cinema in South Asia. Her debut novel, Midnight Strikes, came out earlier this month. Please welcome Zeba Shanaz. Thank you so much, Marissa. It's so great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining me and congratulations on your debut book coming out. Thank you. It's been Uh, a long time coming, so it's very surreal. Um, well, that is actually the first thing that I would like to talk to you about. How how did we get here? What's your origin story? That is a great question. I It's not like a meandering path so much as I was writing a lot, um, kind of like short stories and novel attempts, but I wasn't seriously trying to like get published or like I thought didn't think about it too much until after college. Um, and at that point, like, I was trying to write, but also trying to figure out what I wanted to write. So I would end up with like 150,000 to 200,000 word manuscripts that were not finished and in no way publishable. <laughs> but like, I don't, I don't think of that as like time wasted, although at the time it, it sometimes felt that way. Um, but I was kind of feeling out like what my 
place in the so-called market would be, or really like what my voice was going to be. So I was kind of flitting between um, adult fantasy product projects and YA fantasy projects. And I was having a lot of difficulty finishing things. Like I had no problem coming up with concepts. I just couldn't like make myself follow through. And when like a world building question would get really, not really like difficult to, to untangle or like, I just like the plot just died and I didn't know what was coming next. Then I had a tendency to just like stop and then kind of root around in the rest of my idea docs and see, well, if this isn't working, what can I do to kind of relieve steam? And then I would just get distracted and kind of spiral on that next project. So this was going on for a couple of years. And then um, in 2018, I had the idea um, to do a time loop book and to set it in kind of the YA fantasy type world that I loved reading and that I'd always kind of been trying to pull off and hadn't quite figured out how. It seemed incredibly difficult and was really different from everything else that I had been writing at the time or that I had tried to write at the time. And somehow a year later, I had a finished draft. It was granted 150,000 words, but it was finished. Um, (laughs) So I took that as a win and then spent another year and a half revising and then started on kind of like the querying journey. Um, So yeah, it took a while, but finally got around to the finished product, which is a book that's actually out. Is this the first manuscript then that you ever reached the end on? It was not the first, it was the second. But the first one was, again, one of those 200,000 words. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm an overwriter by by nature, clearly. Uh, But this was the first one that I, like, really edited and, like, really cared about bringing to, like, the next stage. So we hear this, of course, all the time. And I also am one of these writers. I mean, I guess we're all kind of one of these writers that as soon as the going gets tough, your brain is just like... Also, here's this other shiny new project. Wouldn't it be more fun to be doing this right. one over here? Um, and I don't yeah. think I've ever met a writer who doesn't struggle with that on some level. So for you, if people are listening to this and they're uh, maybe starting to feel enticed away to a brand new project and they're feeling like, I'm never going to finish anything, what's your advice for them? That's a great question, not least because sometimes I still feel myself trying to figure out the answer to it. I think for me, the problem that I was having with all these unfinished ideas was that they were all kind of running up against each other in certain ways, whether that was kind of the worlds they are inspired by or the themes that they were all about or kind of the character relationships. There was something that was kind of my brain was circling the drain of the same things over and over again. And it was just hard to make it distinct enough that I needed to get to the end of that particular story. And I think for me, what ended up happening was stumbling on an idea for something that was wildly different than everything else that I had had ever thought of writing or ever wanted to write. And that was an action story where like things have to happen. Um, (laughs) A combination, both of the things that I was interested in at the time, which was like complicated relationships court intrigue, stuff like that, as well as a plot that is actually a plot and like requires things to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it was just different enough to like push me out of my comfort zone. And because like I ended up believing in that, in that idea and I had that vision so clearly, it was easier to kind of force myself to the end. And the other part of it that made it easier to get there was actually having a full outline from the beginning 
um, which I'd done to some success in the past and sometimes abandoned, but like having an outline, it turns out means you have a roadmap for what you're trying to build. And like, even if you deviate from it, like you still have the whole, the vision of the whole thing that you're working towards. Um, so it was those two things. I think first, like getting out of a rut, if you feel like your, your brain is going around doing the same thing over and over again, and it's not compelling enough for you. And then actually doing an outline, um, however strictly you follow it or not. Yeah. No, that's so interesting because it is very, very common for writers on this podcast to say, you know, I hated outlines, was always a pantser, but now that I'm, you know, published and I have deadlines and expectations from my editor, I've been forced to become an outliner. And I feel like there's always like this tension where like, I still kind of hate it, but I also recognize its value. <laughs> Do you, exactly. you kind of in like, that boat? Yeah, no, pretty much. I was, I mean, I went back and forth in terms of like how detailed my, my outlines were, or like, I would outline a little bit to get me through like the first act or the second act, and then kind of trust that by the time I finished that, I would know what I was doing well enough that I wouldn't need to outline too much again. And inevitably I did. I mean, sometimes it was more successful than others, but yeah, I think especially now like having expectations and like deadlines and all everything that you just said, um, plotting is helpful, especially like, again, if your, your book requires that things happen. <laughs> it certainly can be. <laughs> um, one more thing I want to talk, uh, touch on, on your journey that you talked about before we start talking about the book. Um, is you mentioned being an overwriter and that you have a tendency to write these very, very long manuscripts. Uh, of course, this book, I mean, there's no way it's 150,000 words. Um, and I say that because it felt like it flew by for me when I was reading it. Oh, good. What, I, that makes me very happy. Yeah. What was the final word count of this? Oh, it, it's, I think like 110, maybe. Okay. Yeah. A little bit. Time. Yeah. So were you, did you, edit it down yourself in revisions before you queried it? Or was that like nudging from an agent or an editor? So that was what I did myself. I also had um, a bunch of writer friends who are much more strict about their word counts than I am and were able to help me like pinpoint, okay, this section isn't working or you can kind of like, if I had a chapter of dialogue between two characters then to be able to pinpoint, okay, this is the important exchange and the rest of it's just like fluff mm -hmm. um, that you can afford to cut. So like not a lot of plot beats ended up getting cut across the, the, that kind of first stage of editing, mm -hmm. but it was mostly just like too much dialogue, too much description in a way that's like not helpful. Mm -hmm. um, so that took like, I probably did like four, probably more than four passes of edits before I ever sent out a query. And that took about a year and a half. Okay. And then once you had an agent, had an editor, were they were they so impressed with like your neat, tidy manuscript or was there still more cutting to be done at that point? No, that's the craziest. I think maybe the, the strangest part, my whole querying experience was my agent. The first time I was talking to her about like after we signed, it was like, what's the plan? What do we do? And she was like, what do you want me? To, and I was asking like, what do you want me to edit? Um, and she was just like, nope, I think we're ready to go. Uh, you've done enough where an editor can look at this and see where they can really make their mark. Um, so we can just go. And I was like befuddled and flabbergasted <laughs> and all the other shocked words. Like, are you serious? 
I had been like mentally preparing myself to like do another pass, which would have been torture, but like I would have done it. But yeah, no, I think one, and then once we, once we sold, the editing was less about word count and more about kind of like um, table setting, especially regarding the magic and also the character work in a way that kind of makes everything like meld together more intuitively for the reader. So that at that point, it was less about like cutting words and more just like, you know, if you're doing this reveal at this point, you need to set it up more clearly at the beginning. So it was more kind of craft based at that point. Right, right. Just kind of strengthening what was there. Exactly. Uh, So once again, we prove that having good critique partners is worth their weight in gold. Oh, for sure. I I would be so lost without mine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let us then talk about your debut book. It is now out. Would you tell listeners a little bit more about Midnight Strikes? Gladly. Um, So like I said, Midnight Strikes is a YA time loop fantasy. It's about a 17-year-old provincial outsider named Anais. Um, She is an introvert by nature um, and kind of a homebody and just enjoys being with her family and her people, but is has been forced to attend um, this grand anniversary ball at the palace in the capital. Um, her parents are hoping to get her married off into an influential family at court and in so doing, kind of increase their own status and security in the kingdom. Um, and Anna uses, she doesn't love this, but she understands the expectations and is willing to go through with it for the sake of her family. If she could find someone who wasn't terrible, whether that's in personality or in kind of perspective, especially as she comes from um, a kind of marginalized community within the kingdom. And for a minute, it looks like maybe that could be the dastardly, charming Prince Leo. He briefly sweeps her off her feet, and then things get complicated. And then, this is not a spoiler, this, at the stroke of midnight, there's a bunch of explosions that go around the ballroom, and then um, everybody is killed, including Anais. But then she wakes up earlier that same day, Nobody else remembers anything that she that happens at the ball, and no one else believes her when she says, "You know, maybe we shouldn't go there. Things are things are going to take a turn." But she is forced again to go back to the ball, and the same thing happens, and then it starts to and it repeats every day or every night. Um, and then she realizes that her only way out um, of this cycle is to stop the mysterious midnight attacks before they happen. As I was reading it, sometimes when I'm reading, I try to think like, I wonder how this book was pitched. Like, what were the media properties that it was like compared to? Uh, And I came up with, it's like Groundhog Day, but set in the Palace of Versailles with magic and revolutionaries. I think that captures it perfectly. That's about Um, it. (laughs) No, that's it. That's it. Um, For me, it started as, as Cinderella and an Edge of Tomorrow style time loop. If you've seen um, that Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt movie or the manga that it's based on, which I believe is called Live, Die, Repeat. But in that, and I'll talk about the movie because that's the one I know better. Um, but in that one, there's an alien invasion and Tom Cruise has to you know, save the world even in the time loop and Emily Blunt is there to help him. And it's kind of like, it has comedic moments and also dark moments, but I also didn't really realize that like I would ever attempt a time loop book until the idea came with it. I saw Edge of Tomorrow 
when it came out. I thought it was great and amazing. But it took several years for me to like bring it into a project. And then the other ones that were coming up, I started writing just as Russian Doll came out on Netflix, um, which I was very like, everyone was telling me you should watch it, you should watch it. I avoided watching it and a lot of other time media while I was drafting because I didn't want to like like take anything from any other particular source of timelet media but then between Russian Doll and like Palm Springs that came out in 2020 there was a lot of like time loop media in the ether not to mention things like Before I Fall or Groundhog Day and then Cinderella Story like you said Versailles I think the world of Midnight Strikes is kind of a mashup of of France and Spain so and but also the French Revolution and the Russian Revolution and <laughs> A bunch of just a bunch of things thrown together just to see how like nightmarish a ball can possibly be. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that about our brains, writers' brains, artists' brains, that it is kind of like you're just collecting these little tidbits of ideas and inspiration from all over the place, and suddenly they get smushed together into something brand new, which I think is kind of like its own form of magic. Oh, I agree. It's an alchemy of some kind. You're you don't even know what's happening, but then suddenly it just appears to you. True. <laughs> or it just true. shows up on yeah. your roadblock and you're like, wow. I yes, no. There's times when you're like, wow, that that was something that I thought of 10 years ago would make a good story. And now suddenly I have a place for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the book, you have an author's note, or maybe it was in your acknowledgments. Um, I'm not not sure, but as somewhere I saw that you talked about how this book started out as a dare to yourself, uh, which then led into, and I wrote it down, a feverish 18-hour period in which you plotted out the book. Uh, Talk about that. Oh, gosh, yes. So, uh, like I said, um, I had been trying a bunch of different projects at various times before stumbling on this one. So, the way that the pitch came together, or just like the idea came about, was that me and several writing friends were in a group chat and we were all complaining about the stories that we were working on at the time. Um, And they all happened to be like party scenes or ball scenes. So we were like, there should be a book that's just set at party scenes. And we were like, there should be a book that's just set at the same party. And then we were like, there should be a book that's just set at the same party over and over again. And that's where I kind of like felt myself sitting up. And I was like, huh, that that would be a book. And then a couple minutes later, I was thinking, and I was like, oh, it's it's like Edge of Tomorrow. Like I said, the, the time loop movie about kind of being stuck with a time loop, but also trying to save the world. Um, so from there, I was kind of like, what if Cinderella is at the Red Wedding um, from Game of Thrones? And it's like <laughs> in a time loop that way. And like... We were all like, wow, that would be amazing, but also impossible to do. And I was like, yes, you're right. There's no way, there's no way I could possibly pull this off. Um, and then it was, it was getting late and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to sleep and and vow to not think of this, this plot at all, because it would just break my heart. And of course I have something else I'm supposed to be working on. So I went to sleep and then the next day I was bored and opened up a Google Doc and was just like, hey, what? why don't I just like try to tell myself the story just to figure out like what it would look like. And I had no expectations, no names, no world building, just like girl goes to ball, girl beats prince, explosions, death, said what? And it kind of just like throughout that whole day, 
I was just hopping between my Google Docs and my Notes app and just being like continuing the outline of like, you know, girl does this and this happens and just like figuring out and telling myself the story, which by like 6 p.m. No, probably like later in the evening that next day, I, I came back to the group chat. and was like, guess what I've been doing all day? And lo and behold, it was the full outline. I would say probably like 80% of which is still in Midnight Strikes. Oh, wow. So it was kind of, so like by the time I had the outline, I was like, well, this is clearly something that like I know could work. I don't know if I personally could pull it off. It just seems it was, you know, full of action and adventure and had a mystery component, not to mention the time loop aspects. And I didn't know how to pull that off in prose as opposed to like, Uh, a film or a tv show or something where you have like visual shorthand so I was just like well this you know I have this I'll tackle it when I'm ready and then again I got bored a couple months later and I was like well I'll just see if I can figure out what you know the the main character's voice would sound like and then I kind of just wrote a sample chapter and that was kind of the start of it I love that and so was that I can't remember from from our earlier conversation. Was that the first time you wrote an outline? It was not the very first time I'd wrote an outline, but it's the first time that like an outline actually helped. There are probably a bunch of reasons for this, but it's the first one where I was also just like discovering and I had kind of the joy of discovery of what the story would be. And then, you know, in past outlines, like I knew what I was doing and just needed or like I thought I knew what I was doing and I would just put it down in kind of like general terms or like get really specific in a way that I would just end up feeling constricting later on. But like I said, it was just like very bare bones, no names, no like markers of world building, just like girl and prince and frenemy and, you know, friend and like, just like the archetypes and like there is a ball and a kingdom and, and that kind of thing. So the rest kind of came in later, but I never started a book with the plot first. Interesting. So let's talk specifically about writing a time loop story, um, because it is one of the the plot structures that comes with its own very unique challenges. I for sure. Um, so so first of all, like to you, what were some of the the biggest challenges that that you felt like you had to conquer? Where to start? I think first, like I was saying, like I I'd seen time loops. In, in movies and in films and like the way that you can kind of montage past um, things that are repetitive. I didn't know how to do that in prose in the same way and, and to be as effective. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of like the logistics of like, at what point can I start like skipping the waking up and having people of what's happening and not working. So there was kind of that part of it. But I think the, the bigger and maybe overarching difficulty I had or like the the problem I ended up running into was I was so focused on like getting through the mystery part of the time loop where Annie's is trying to figure out you know what's going on what where what is this attack who's doing it what do they want what else is happening at court that like might complicate what they want um so there are a lot of like moving pieces and then there's the magic elements there's like um a lot of, of magics, like types of magic, magic systems that she's also learning about. So I was so focused on like the plot and like the world building at that point that and like making sure that we could follow her journey and understand like, okay, if this happens and she's doing this and learning that um, because we need to learn about this. And it was just a lot of like puzzle pieces and a lot of table setting. And I kind of lost sight of 
the character or the center of it, and which had never been like a problem for me before. Um, but I think by the time I was probably like a draft in, I realized that like right now, you know, this is just an action story or it's just kind of like an adventure or a mystery. It doesn't have the same weight that I love in YA uh, in particular, which is on character and kind of a character arc for Anais in particular, but also for the other characters insofar as they can grow within a single night if they don't remember what's happened before. Um, So then I had to kind of go back and like really bring that to the fore in terms of particularly of Anais's character arc and kind of her, you know, figuring out where she's starting and kind of what she wants, if anything, at the beginning and, and being able to trace how she's coming of age, even through all the plot stuff and all the magic stuff that she's learning about. So that was the biggest challenge, I think. And, and once I realized that there was that disconnect in terms of like what I, what my focus was as the author, then I was able to kind of readjust that in a way and be able to emphasize, you know, how does the plot reflect on Anais or how does the magic reflect on her and kind of like tie it together more clearly. Yeah. No, and I I love that. And I'm trying to think if it's spoilery to mention this. I don't think it is. Um, If you disagree, then we can edit this part out. Um, But I I really loved how her character arc kind of starts to parallel this idea that like she at some point figures out that she can stop it. She can stop the time loop when she chooses to, but she's just like so determined to save the world by that point. Um, and, and I thought that that was a great way of like showing her growth and, and how like just determined she becomes, but then also when is she ready to let go? I thought it all worked out just seamlessly. Um, I don't think that's a spoiler. So I, I think that's fine. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So we'll we'll keep it. But no, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think that was a really elemental part of what I was trying to do from the beginning and kind of lost sight of. The way that this time loop works is that if she doesn't die, then, you know, time will continue. So at several points throughout the book, she kind of is wondering, like, well, you know, I gave it my my best shot, but I can't do this anymore. Things are more complicated than even I could have guessed. And like, maybe I should just go home and and let everybody at the palace die. Right. Um, And she is making the conscious choice to keep going back and to keep trying. And I think. Part of it sort of comes from like her her tendency to self-sacrifice for the greater good. I think when when those story starts, she's thinking about, you know, getting married into a courtly family or to a person that she doesn't have any, you know, genuine affection for, but is willing to do so for the sake of her family. And I think some of that is coming through here where she just feels a responsibility to save the lives of the people um, around her. Um, but eventually it becomes about not just, you know, saving lives for the sake of saving, saving lives, but also realizing that in a, in kind of being stuck in this time loop, she can also determine in some ways the course of the future uh, for the kingdom and for her people and all the peoples of the kingdom. And I think marrying that um, personal coming of age and, and strength with her political coming of age was something that was really exciting to me. Yeah. And it becomes really impressive to watch her growth. And also, I mean, everything has to be accomplished within a 12 hour period for her to succeed. You know, <laughs> it's like she yeah, really, it, 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 it requires a special, ang- 
Yeah, it requires a special alchemy, but we got there. We got there. Or did we? I don't know. <laughs> um, so one thing that I was thinking of as I was reading it that stood out to me as something that would be particularly challenging in this type of story is that we've got our main character who remembers all of the past days. But for everyone else, they're starting back at square one at the start of every new day. Uh, So how difficult was it just trying to keep track of the other characters and what they do and do do and don't know um, at at any given time? I think that's a good question. And that for Anais, I think everything is like building. So there are times where she'll like really fixate on what happened in the past loop. And then times where she's just like focusing, like coming back to something she saw earlier, but didn't like realize the importance of or didn't notice at the time. So so Anais kind of like skips through time in a way where like she'll file things away for later or like have a realization that something she saw earlier um, may be relevant in ways she didn't realize. Everybody else, I think, it was less of what they did and didn't know because they all they like you said they all start at square one. It was the more the more interesting part of this for me was kind of like unpeeling as if they're onions. I'm sorry for the Shrek reference, <laughs> uh, but kind of I don't know why that came to me. But kind of unpeeling like the layers of their character and figuring out not just what they know about what's going on on this particular doomed night, but kind of what they know about you know their their friends their relatives their enemies the kingdom at large so it was really more difficult or more difficult to calibrate like who knows what in terms of what anise and what the reader needs to learn about the world or about the court or about you know the forces that are attacking the palace the other part of this that was even more difficult was probably um being able to could do a romantic storyline between Anais and, and Prince Leo. That was my um, next question. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> but yeah, we can I think for for the for the Leo romance it was interesting because like you still need it to feel like there is being progress on the part of Anais and, and therefore the reader. Um but Leo Leo is always gonna go back to square one. I think I kind of like grease the wheels a little bit and giving like leo kind of like the start of a crush on ace whenever when usually when he sees her where he you know sees a girl in a dress and is like i like that one so like he's he's kind of predisposed to to you know paying attention to her or like trying to flirt with her however well he does that or however receptive she is to his flirting when she needs his help to like save everyone's lives but I think what I thought was like terribly romantic and a lot of fun was to grow Anais's feelings and kind of le- helping her learn more about Leo, where like a relationship feels, if not like progressing in the way it would if this were a more um, linear story, but like you can still see her falling for him in unexpected ways. And Leo also, you know, each time they meet and are maybe more when he's more helpful than not, being able to kind of see what their relationship could look like, or like that the, see that there is a possibility for them, um, whether or not it gets pursued in the next loop. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I really loved watching that struggle. 
because of course us romantics love love that it's earned um and i of course i won't spoil this part but he asks a question uh at the very end that i particularly loved yeah. what about so okay so first draft sounds like you were very very plot focused moving into the second draft you were then sounds like uh focusing more on character and character arc when did kind of focusing on the world building and the magic system really start to come into play for you because it's a very complicated magic system oh you're telling me <laughs> oh god um I think it's it's I mean I was kind of do, went doing it as I went um in that first draft as well because like I said the outline didn't have any markers so I think I started by figuring out what the the main character's name would be and you know I went through my list of names that I keep for for future characters and I latched onto on ace and I was like this sounds like a Disney princess Cinderella type of name um, so that gave me like her vibe immediately and then also kind of grounded me in this like Southern France, Eastern Spain, Occitan world. So that kind of started from once I began to draft in earnest where I kind of knew what the world like with the world of Ivaria is inspired by. And then that kind of gave me a bunch of other um, historical currents and inspirations to to throw in. So we have kind of the expansionary kingdom we have um a revolution in the wings so that kind of helped on the world building aspect and i kind of was refining that as i went um the magic systems took a while uh, not least because there are so many of them and they are complicated but i started off so anais has one of the other reasons anais is ostracized in this world is because she and her people practice a type of blood magic that is seen as kind of obscene and and undignified um, by people like Leo and, and kind of the folks who dominate the capital. Um, so I so that kind of came from the from the start. And then if Anais has one type of magic, then Leo has to have another. So I was kind of like building as I went that way. And then in terms of like how that came together, a lot of it was me kind of like slapping things together and hoping they made sense. For a while and then once I had an editor that's when she was really like okay we really need to to clarify this stuff because <laughs> your reader needs to understand it and I was like, you sure do we have to <laughs> uh, so a lot of a lot of that work came with the editor um at least in terms of like streamlining it because if you can believe it this is the streamlined version uh, of the magic and the world building like I said had been kind of been building on it through successive drafts. But I think that the political stuff and court intrigue, that was kind of part of it from the beginning, from that very first outline. Um, and I think just like refining like characters' relationships within within that kind of intrigue-filled corrupt palace, uh, that part was a lot of fun for me, much more fun than figuring out magic systems. <laughs> Do you, because I, I agreed, for me, magic systems can be kind of one of those banes of a book from time to time, <laughs> that it's like, oh, why did I make it so complicated? Now I have to understand it. Um, but you do, of course, get there eventually um, if you you keep keep working it and kind of keep going back to ask questions, questions upon questions. Um, for you, like, do you feel like there was anything that you learned from this experience that you will take forward into your next big fantasy book? 
Um, simplify the magic systems. <laughs> Don't have so many of them. <laughs> Don't do another time loop book. <laughs> stick with stick with mostly linear plot. Um, seriously, I think lessons I would take forward would be about like trusting your vision. Um, I think in the past, like I would get scared of like the enormity of the consequences of like a character making a certain decision and just like my brain would shut down and be like, no, that's too, too much to, for me to handle. I will go back and, and try something else uh, or another project. So I think like trusting myself to like see it through to the end is a big thing. And then I think the other part of this that I found really exciting was like the joy. Well, well, joy is a strong word, but the the rewarding aspects of like editing. So I never, like I said before, kind of like starting to cut down that initial draft. I hadn't really done like in-depth, like multiple passes of edits on a book. And and as hard as it was for me, I like I thought it was a really fun exercise. Um and actually like refining a lot of the ideas that I kind of like word vomit out into a word doc. So that part was fun. So I will be more excited to edit, I think, in the future than I have been in the past. Mm-hmm. And I think the last one's probably about like not letting pressure get to you. I think one of the other reasons that I probably had more difficulty with other projects was that you know, they they represented something to me. Um, you know, they represented my interest, or I really thought this would be the one that, you know, would take publishing by storm and all that stuff. Um, and this is entirely self-inflicted p- er, pressures. But I think this for however difficult that can be once you're, you know, once you're under contract or anything like that, keeping the, the joy of discovery and when you're telling yourself a story or writing a draft is something that I'm looking forward to doing more of and hope that I'm able to kind of put in practice even when you know publishing is doing publishing things Mm. and things are really hard and you know you feel the pressure from you know whether it's kind of something that you just feel or whether it's coming from you or from like readers or or editors or agents or like other authors so I think being able to kind of block out the noise and and write for yourself as much as possible will be um, something I, I take forward. Good. I think that's like one of the the biggest things that we hope to convey through these conversations. Um, oh God, I hope so. <laughs> my last question before we move on to our bonus round, another one that I, I'd like to ask every guest, what do you feel is one of the biggest challenges that you've had in your writing journey so far? And how were you able to overcome it? I think we've covered a lot of the challenges mm-hmm. today in terms of not being able to finish projects or not feeling like I have the the skill or the wherewithal in some sure. ways to finish yeah. something. So like I said, I think overcoming that requires a clear vision or at least a de- determination to like figure out what that vision is and not shy away from it, even if you think it is bigger than you can pull off. Um, sometimes it will require you step out of your comfort zone or like learn about things that you don't think are particularly relevant, but may end up being relevant and kind of trusting your gut, even when, you know, you feel pressures or kind of looking at others in your, among your peer group or friends who are kind of moving in different directions or moving faster in their writing journeys than you are and kind of trusting that you put in the work, you make sure you don't lose the joy of it either. Um, 
that will, you know, get you through this draft. And then from there, you you refine it and see what happens. But I think being able to to trust yourself is probably the biggest thing that I've had to learn in my journey. I love it. Trust yourself, put in the work and don't lose the joy. That's like, that's it. That's what we're going for right there. I'm glad to hear <laughs> it. And I, I know it sounds like some of it sounds easier to say than to do. And I'm certainly sure, struggling of course, sometimes yeah. to put it all together and put it in practice, but we're trying. That's what's important. Yeah. <laughs> we do try. Are you ready for our bonus round? Absolutely. Tea or coffee? Tea. I do not drink coffee. Music or silence? Um, music, but lately I tend to like just latch onto a song or an album and just play that on repeat so that it drowns everything out, including the noise in my brain. Aristocrat or revolutionary? Ooh, okay. Um, it depends what kind of aristocrat, aristocrat, sorry, not the aristocrats. I do love the aristocrats. Um, I will pick revolutionary just because I think they're super fun. And um, the revolutionaries in this book are also very interesting. Fairy magic or saints magic? I'll go fairies because I think they're more fun than saints. <laughs> if Midnight Strikes had a theme song, what would it be? Ooh, okay. Uh, I have several options here. Um, the Chain by Fleetwood Mac is, is oh, the song that I was listening to on repeat throughout the drafting and editing process so that was like my personal theme song for it I would also do something like Voulez-vous by ABBA (laughs) because I think it's just funny and like I mean I think it works or like a man after gimme 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 a man after midnight also ABBA um but yeah my my theme songs are either jokes or the one that I actually used as my theme song (laughs) Do you have a favorite writing craft book? I don't actually. I think I've ended up just like learning a lot from the books I read and then um, the media I consume, whether that's TV or cinema or or world cinema. I think Save the Cat is a really good structure that I try to use. But otherwise, I'm not as up on my craft books as maybe I should be. <laughs> maybe that's why I had such, such a problem getting through a draft. <laughs> They're not for everyone. How do you celebrate an accomplishment? Oh, it depends on the accomplishment. Um, Sometimes it will be just like I can go get a nice pastry from the cool bakery down the street. Sometimes it will be, um, you know, I'm just going to watch the show that I've been saving um, for a good moment. Or sometimes I'll just like, crow about it with like my friends and just be like I did it I did it and then we can all celebrate together what book makes you happy oh my gosh I let me think that's a good one um I'm gonna go with the Queen's Thief books by Megan Whalen Turner Mm. um I just love them so much and they're just just the encapsulation of everything I love and then like I also I don't read that many rom-coms, but one that I particularly loved is called um, How to Fake It in Hollywood by Ava Wilder. And it's a fake dating book and also a celebrity romance book. And that just like hit me in my core of loving (laughs) fake dating plots and celebrity romance plots. Um, So that one, I think, really like made me giddy in a way that I um, haven't been 
for a while. That sounds really fun. What are you working on next? Well, nothing has been official, um, but my next project that I'm working on is one of those stories that I've been kind of building in my head for a long time and started writing, but felt was kind of beyond my skill at the time. But it is a fantasy set in um, British India or a world inspired by British India, to be specific. And it's got a lot of politics and a lot of magic and a lot of drama. So I'm very excited about it. Nice. And lastly, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at Zaba Shah. Um, that's Z-A-Y-B-A-S-H-A-H. That is spelled that way for pronunciation purposes. And I'm on Instagram at Zaba Shah writes, Z-A-Y-B-A-S-H-A-H writes. Awesome. Zaba, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Marissa. This is so, so much fun. Readers, be sure to check out Midnight Strikes. It is out now. Of course, we encourage you to support your local indie bookstore, or you can check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. And don't forget to check out our merchandise on Redbubble uh, and Public. Just search for The Happy Writer. Next week will be our 150th episode. Did I just say that? I cannot believe it. Uh, we're going to be celebrating with a very special conversation. I will be joined by Joanne Levy, and she and I are going to talk about some of our all-time favorite pieces of writing advice that we have heard from former guests on this podcast. Uh, some different things that really stood out to us uh, and have even made a difference in how we have been writing our own books. So it is definitely one that you don't want to miss. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy, and whatever life throws at you today, I do hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.